joining us uh, very soon. And I think his new name is Charles Navarro. So now Charles, uh, Lake is with uh, Charles Navarro. They are together, beautiful. Lake, I, I was telling uh, John earlier, I feel like I'm seeing you like all the time this, this winter. Oh, yeah. like I must be in Los Angeles or somewhere. We're hanging out every day. Yeah, that's, you're, you're true. So uh, as I said in, in the previous sessions you were on, um, I want to give you again credit for the people watching us right now that might not have seen you in the previous session. If we all here together, it started back to uh, probably May when um, I was trying with Judy and John, you know, we had this wonderful e-portrait platform that was the perfect solution at that time of the pandemic, you know, to connect people. And, and we had, you know, the perfect solution in the current situation, but that was not enough. We we're missing something. And we we're talking with Leg and exchanging ideas. Well, what could we do? And that's how e-portrait live uh, tech webinar was born. And the first one that was put together was Lake with John Causey. It was an instant uh, uh, success. After that, we said, well, let's do more. We called uh, our friend uh, Paulie and uh, at McLeod and, and Jimo is crew chief. Boom, they were on the next minute. Then we called JC uh, at AEM Electronics. He called Stefan Papadakis. Boom, they're on the next week. And, and the things really took off. And that wonderful exchange weekly for one hour where people could chit chat, engage, connect was an instant hit. And that's how uh, uh, Online Race Industry Week was born because we thought, what's next? Let's do a full week. So here we are. We start always within the hour. It is two o'clock. Joe Castillo, you are in charge. Thank you guys. We'll see you in 50 minutes. Thank, Thank you very much, friends. Peace. Big mistake saying something so big and bold as I am in charge because I'm going to start doing all kinds of stuff like promoting Lake Speed Junior. Hey guys, how you doing? Charles Lake, welcome. This is great East Coast, five o'clock hour. Uh, you know, obviously you guys three hours behind, but learning so much, loving what we are doing. And we're going to kick it up into another gear, Lake. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, we just heard Francisque lay out like how this happened. It's been amazing to see it all take shape. I know you're probably pretty proud also. This is really cool. I mean, I, I, I said I was very fortunate that Francis and Judy and John reached out uh, to me back in the summer and said, hey, well, how do we how are we going to handle this if we what happened with the trade shows being canceled in person? How are we going to overcome that? And we really brainstormed for a while uh, about how to address it, what format, what platform we thought would be the best way to address it. And, you know, I got to thank Matt Hartford, uh, you know, my boss and your good friend uh, for giving us the latitude to go do this. I, he was just completely supportive of, yeah, y'all go try what you want to try. Go for it. We need to figure something out. And so we, we tried the first uh, EPAR trade live, like you said, with John Kazi. And of course, John's a great guy, super knowledgeable, and it was successful. And we, we still hear people every day, you know, watch it on YouTube and, they say, oh yeah, I, was, I really learned something from that. And even earlier this week, you know, with myself and Keith, who you know very well uh, from the Hidden Horsepower uh, podcast series, with Ed Kiefer talking about honing, we've been inundated with phone calls and emails from people who watched the webinar on Tuesday that were, wow, I didn't even know that, you know, 100 micro inches is a tenth of a thousandth. 
and it, from a honing and cylinder for finish, it blew their mind. So this has been a really great week and very excited to be able to come back with my buddy Charles and yes. kind of take it to the next level, kind of a continuation of what we talked about on Tuesday and then going to that next level today. Well, let, let's do it. And of course, we invite everybody with questions, put them in the comments section. We're all monitoring. I don't know if you guys can see, but I certainly can see and I'll feed them to you. Uh, Charles, welcome to the show. Obviously, uh, a, a little background. You're the president of LN Engineering. So uh, you got that uh, engineering mind. And what we're about to talk is ring seal oil and the relationship and how we can, uh, you know, get the most out of uh, our engines and, and oil clean keep them protected make them live a long time yep though i met lake years ago when everyone was losing flat tap camden lifters when before everyone knew it was zddp was the answer and we were doing test work on air-cooled porsche engines and we were testing all kinds of oils doing oil analysis doing teardowns inspecting stuff and lo and behold Lake was doing that research at Joe yes, Gibbs yeah. Racing, and I was reading the SAE white papers of what he had published, and we were following the same course, and we hooked up and started working together uh, with development of oils, uh, a lot of which we use in our Porsche uh, business here, uh, but the development of break-in oils, intermediate oils, how it affects every stage of an engine from break-in to uh, have good long life and then tracking these the, these cars uh, and what you need to do to protect them. Oh yeah, I, I remember reading Charles's white paper on oil and I'm like, I gotta meet this guy. <laughs> this is the only other guy I know that gets it. And so we've been hooked up ever since. And in fact, you know, we're, it's great that it kind of worked out that this week is online race industry week. And I'm here at Charles's shop because We've been working for several months now um, on a new engine project where you know Charles and his team here build these fantastic parts for Porsche engines. But one of the things they tried or we're trying right now is a different bore coating. So as opposed to having a traditional cast iron bore or a nicosil bore, Charles and his group went way out there and have tried Suma bore which is a plasma spray bore. And what makes it really interesting is that as opposed to having a nicosil, which is a plating, or cast iron, which is a material, the sumo bore is sprayed on. And then as opposed to honing it with a normal cross hatch and all those kind of things that most people who are in the engine machining are used to seeing, this is mirror finished. And you may say, well, isn't that too slick? Well, it would be, except for the fact that it's porous. So there's porosity in that process of little bitty tiny balls of iron hitting the cylinder. When you do that mirror finishing, it reveals those micro pores. And that's what holds the oil, right? We're, we're, we're going to get to oil in this whole thing, right? Um, yeah. So it's that micro pore that holds the oil that can lubricate the ring, because that's what this thing is. I mean, the ring isn't just a compression seal. It's also an oil seal. And more importantly, it's also a lubricating component. So it's doing a job, but you have to have oil getting to that part to do its job. And like we talked about on Tuesday in the seminar with Ed and Keith is that proper lubrication is having the right oil, which is the right viscosity and additives for the application. 
at the right place, the right time, and the right amount. And you may think, well, it's this crank with the splat, uh, uh, crank in the splat, uh, splash in the crankcase. I'll get it out eventually. That actually lubricates the ring. And no, that can get the oil on the cylinder wall, but it's those valleys, it's those holes at porosity in the sumobore that hold the oil that actually lubricate the ring. Without that oil getting there and enough of it being there, you can't lubricate the ring and the oil is the gasket between the ring and the cylinder wall and the piston to create that what we always call ring seal soup. You know, it's not just one of those components. They all got to work together. And as we've already <laughs> seen today from beginning the engine teardown process on the first, you know, uh, leg of this journey with Sumabore in a Porsche engine that it can be pretty challenging to get that mix right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where uh, use oil analysis comes into play that we've been taking samples uh, every so many miles so we can see if there's fuel dilution, what kind of wear metals are in the oil. Because we have, I would venture to say, we've probably seen at this point at least a thousand samples of what an inside of this particular engine would look like if it had a nicosyl bore in it. We know what the oil sample, what what the fingerprint of one of those engines looked like. So now we're using a different technology. So we need to get lots of testing, lots of oil samples, uh, compression tests, leak down tests. It's, it's, but it's again, we need as much data as possible to understand if this is working uh, correctly or if we need to change something and use oil analysis is one of those tools that we're relying on. Exactly. Just like we talked about on Tuesday that the profilometer, which can measure your bore finish, is a tool that you have to have to be able to measure and understand and control your bore finish. Oil analysis is your tool for understanding the health of the oil and more importantly, the health of the engine. Because as Charles was saying, fuel dilution is a huge, huge issue. And as a ring guy, fuel is the enemy of my piston ring. The reason for that is your oil in your piston ring, they go hand in hand. It's a lubricated part. It's an oil control ring. It's doing both. It's symbiotic. It's the fuel, which is the enemy, because the fuel lowers the viscosity. It dilutes the oil. It reduces its ability to do its job, especially you go from a, a pump gas engine to say E85 or methanol or something like that, you're getting even more fuel, it has even less lubricity, it lowers that viscosity even more. So it's pretty typical is when you have a high level of fuel dilution, you have a high level level of wear in the engine. And our experience together, like I said, thousands of pound thousands of engine oil samples from Porsches, NASCAR, <laughs> you name it, we've sampled it over the years. Um, rarely do you see a high level of wear without a co corresponding high level of fuel dilution. So it's really an undervalued, overlooked tool that the race industry really needs, especially now the fact that we've gone to multi-race engines. When you have a sealed engine, a crate motor, or a spec type motor that can't be modified, can't be inspected completely on a regular basis. This is, you know, like do it, going to the doctor and getting a blood test to know how so, you're doing inside. This is what it is just for your motor. 
And is that is that a kit? Just because you guys are back uh, uh, off camera a little bit, so it's difficult to see exactly what you've got. I'm thinking about racers out there who want to monitor the life of their engine over um, races, a season, two seasons, etc., and kind of keep track of that. Is this uh, something that you can apply, you know, uh, weekly, monthly, etc., and track the life of your engine, the wear of your engine? Oh, 100%. Yeah, so they are kits, which, you know, by the way, Charles happens to sell these. Uh, so I'll hold them up here closer to the camera. Yes. But the kit comes complete with a sample bottle, all of the handy-dandy instructions. I know you can't possibly read that, but everything you need to know to do, you just follow the instruction sheet. And it comes with a prepaid, self-addressed, expedited shipping box to go back because in a lot of cases you can get the results back in less than a week you send it on a monday you better get your results back friday so there you know there are nascar teams uh that are actually doing this on a weekly basis and they and there's a expedited version that is two-day processing so they can literally ship the sample on a monday have the results on wednesday so they can know the health of that engine before the next race Wow, that's um, that's great because you know you mentioned health. You compared it to the medical field. It really is. You're just checking and diagnosing the health of your engine through used oil analysis. Uh, you know, how affordable is something like this, Charles? Uh, a kit runs about sixty dollars, uh, including shipping for one of these kits. And like Lake said, you'll once you ship it in, you'll see the results for a standard kit in about five days. Um, we rely on it really heavily uh, in a lot of the Porsche engines that we deal with. They use Locasil uh, cylinder technology or Alucil, which a lot more people are familiar with. And those engines suffer a problem called bore scoring, where the you basically the bore score and then you get metal to metal contact from the piston skirts, which are aluminum with aluminum cylinder bores. Yeah, never. And, and when you, you, the engines will get symptoms like one sooty tailpipe. You have two tailpipes, one side of the engine is starting to fail, one will be dirty. But even before you'll see it on a tailpipe or the engine will start sounding like it has a noisy lifter. A lot of people think it's, a, I, have, I have a bad lifter. No, it's a cylinder failing. And used oil analysis is the first place you'll actually see a failure starting because you'll see aluminum content and silicon content elevated in the oil. So if you're doing oil changes and doing sampling every oil change, you'll have, oh, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. And all of a sudden there's a spike in the aluminum silicone and you go, hey, what's wrong? Where, where did this come from? This shouldn't be here. And then that lets you take action before you have a failure. And what he said is the key. The trend is your friend. It's really not about the, I say the absolute values. What, what are those little detailed numbers from your report. The key is having that history, that, that trend to watch what's going on because every engine is gonna be a bit different. The environment is gonna be different that it operates in. The, the oil people use is gonna be different. So well, the key is establishing the baseline for where you are and what you're doing. Then look for deviations from that baseline. And those are your warning flags to know, hey, something's changed what's going on and the reality is if you're really racing racing for championships you know 60 bucks per race 
is <laughs> nothing. 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 And you can literally save yourself a championship. It's already happened. Uh, there's a team that saved themselves a championship just by one of these bottles, caught an engine that was going to fail. They were scheduled to run it again. They sent it back to the engine builder, and sure enough, it was about to fail, but it was running fine the previous race. No reason to doubt the health of the engine for the next race, but if they had run that race again, they would have or run that engine again the next race, they would have failed it, and they would have lost the championship instead. So, you know, 60 bucks goes a long way. Amazing stuff. All right, we've got a couple of questions out there coming in on the chat section, and if you have a question, by all means, post it, and I'll pose it to Charles and Lake. This one coming from Kyle Fickler uh, out there. What's up, Kyle? Uh, hi, Lake and Charles. What percentage of dilution do you consider high, or what is the threshold of dilution? Obviously, somewhat depends on fuel, uh, too, but uh, speak on that a little bit. So, for a normal drain interval and there there's a question in and of itself it's a can of worms what's considered normal but it, typically in that three to five thousand mile window you want to see less than two percent now you start shortening that number up well now that number needs to come down you know for example we saw a report today we're looking at that it's basically 1.97 we'll call it two percent but it's only 1,300 miles. Well, that's high. Because if you extrapolate that out, it's going to be 4 or 5%, which would be a big problem. So anything less than 2 at about three to 5,000 miles, somewhere in that range, typically okay. It's, it's on, on tend to be on the high side. You really want to see about 1%. The really good race motors, like, you know, give it back to my buddy Mark Conquist at, at Gibbs, they do this every race on all their stuff the good ones are less than one percent usually about half a percent you know so 0.5 percent or 0.5 is what they're looking at as a good fuel dilution on a 500 mile race now when they go to say baja they run the baja 1000 that number goes up a little bit just because the length of the race but you know we've seen in our experience in a street engine if it goes over two, that's never a good sign. And it also depends on if the engine's port injected, direct injected. That makes a huge difference yeah. because if you look at my experience obviously is in Porsche engines. If you look at a port injected Porsche engine, normally the used oil analysis on a healthy motor will have well less than a percent uh, of fuel dilution, maybe half a percent or sometimes no fuel dilution whatsoever in a 5,000 mile interval. But a direct injected engine, it's almost all the time we get it, it has at least 2% fuel dilution in a healthy motor. It just, because the fuel pressure is injected so high in the combustion chamber, some of it gets past the rigs. Yep. So, yeah, DI engines are, are the exception to that, no doubt about it. That makes sense. So, uh, first of all, I think that that is a, a great tool for people out there. Now you're referencing, we talked sports cars and we talked about like a 500 mile race like we would see in cup, but what about for drag racers? It sounds like something that they can use in intervals, maybe not after every single race or maybe, but um, how, how does their, how would they go about using the tool? Well, the same way, because you, you still want to see what that fuel level is because 
back to piston rings, this is your ring seal. If you're getting too much fuel dilution, even in a drag race environment, more than likely what's going to happen is you are going to shorten the useful life of your engine. No matter how fast your car is running, if you're getting a bunch of fuel in your oil, that's going to increase bore wear 100%. That when you have high levels of fuel dilution, you're going to be contaminating the oil, which is going to reduce the lubricating properties of the oil, which is going to increase cylinder bore wear, chance of scuffing, uh, damaging the ring. So in the end, you should be looking at it, even though the numbers may be, we'll call it higher for your application, back to that trend is your friend, you want to get a hold of it and monitor it so that you don't get out, you know, get yourself out, tune up, tune up goes bad, fuel injector goes bad, and now all of a sudden you're having a problem, you can track it back so that in the end, it's like more of an insurance policy. You're trying to build that data, look ahead so that you can make the small adjustment, small fix of a problem before it becomes a big problem, big money fix. And I'll give well, an example, so, two examples yes. of that. Um, with uh, what, when we look for bad, if we suddenly have an engine that has fuel dilution that didn't have it before, injectors are suspect. We see uh, in a lot of the engines and cars we deal with that the ethanol fuels are killing the injectors, causing them to leak and then uh, dribble rather than have proper fuel spray, and that washes down the cylinder bores, causing more wear. Um, another good tool for the used oil analysis, when, uh, when people are tracking their, their cars, one of the weak spots in uh, some of the engines we deal with are rod bearings and oil starvation. And the used oil analysis, before you have a spun rod bearing or a connecting rod failure, you're gonna see elevated uh, lead, copper, tin levels that shouldn't be there and even before there are any symptoms of a problem with the engine. Exactly. Amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, for, for people out there, and, and we're going to be going for a, a while longer, more information coming, but I don't expect everyone is going to stick around for every minute. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, maybe they're in the future. But if they're thinking about uh, ordering one of these kits, Charles, where are they going and what are they doing? Go to lnengineering.com. That's LarryNancyEngineering.com, and you'll see uh, a link for speed diagnostics uh, in the products menu, and we carry all the different variations. We have shop kits, so that uh, a bulk, so if, uh, if a shop has to test a lot of cars, uh, they can buy them in bulk, uh, so they can get the test a little bit cheaper. Um, and then we have an extraction pump available, a kit that has that. So if you don't want to necessarily drain your oil, you can use extraction pump to pull a sample from the oil fill uh, tube or the, the uh, dipstick tube. Wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. It sounds like this is just going to be and become or is part of the natural order of making sure you know, your engine is healthy, like a, a leak down check every once in a while in the old days. Uh, this is a part of it. Exactly. And the whole thing is back to trying to get more points of data. If you think about, and we live in a digital age, and everybody knows that if you only have a few pixels in your picture, it's not going to be a very clear picture. You, the more pixels, the more data you can have behind that image, the more clear the image is going to be, the sharper the resolution. You can see better. Well, you know, just having a leak down is a point of data. When you go and start doing used oil analysis and you do it trend over time. So
failure, you got leak down data over time. You got used oil analysis data over time. One of the things that used oil analysis gives you is not just one point of data, like leak is one point. It's okay, this is how much that cylinder leak. This is gonna give you the viscosity of the oil, which is the most important characteristic of the oil. And if it starts to drop due to fuel dilution or shearing of the oil, that's, that's a warning sign if it gets too much. Or inversely, if the viscosity increases because it's running so hot that it's beginning to oxidize. We think about oil breaking down, getting thinner. That's usually dilution that does that. When the oil oxidizes, the viscosity goes up because the chemicals are basically breaking down. And you can see that in what's called the oxidation level. So that's another thing you can see, okay, is my oil running too hot? Uh, one of our friends, Mark Burkett, mm -hmm. especially cars the other day, had, had a car that had been tracked and came back in the sample, the viscosity was up, and then the oxidation was double what was normal. And it's like, wait, we think maybe there was an issue with the thermostat for the oil cooler, that it wasn't actually working. So that was the way they were able to diagnose a problem, even though the car didn't show any symptoms of having a problem, they were able to diagnose a problem by looking at these oil analysis data. Then you got fuel dilution, you've got uh, water contamination, or coolant contamination, uh, you've got silicon, which can come from dirt, like bad air filters or properly in, improperly installed air filter, or in some cases, it's gonna be from the bore material. And Micasil or Alucil bore has got silicon, it's gonna increase, and a lot of labs would misread that as just dirt, you got to know the application. You got to know the metallurgy of the equipment you're looking at and be more nuanced to understand what that actually is. And notice that, oh, when you got aluminum and silicon going up, uh, that's not dirt, that's bore material. So it gives you that. And then, of course, it's the entire additive package. So your detergents like your copper, I'm sorry, not copper, but calcium, magnesium, sodium, those are detergents in the motor oil. You can see those levels. You can see the phosphorus, you can see the zinc in the oil. One way to know an engine is actually in distress isn't just the wear metals, it's to actually look at the additive package. When you see the phosphorus and the zinc dropping from what the new oil level is, that's the number one sign that the engine is in trouble. Something's going on in the engine and the oil is trying to save the parts so it's being consumed, it's consuming that additive package at a higher rate, trying to save the part. So the part's not wearing at a high level yet necessarily, but it's a warning flag that there is trouble afoot. So again, another preemptive way of knowing what's happening. And then you've got all the wear metals. And the wear metals are gonna relate, like Charles said, you know, from what the metallurgy of the engine is. So you can see timing chain wear, you can see camshaft wear, you can see piston bearings, you can see all these things and trend it over time to know what's going on. So it's one sample, one leak down test, leak down test, good thing, one point of data, that one's going to give you like 30 points of data. So, wow. so that's really just multiplies your picture. What would you recommend is the appropriate way to use this uh, tool, used oil analysis, 
starting out with a brand new engine, say, you know, you just got your, your engine from the engine shop and it's new, it's been dyno tested and you're feeling good about it. Um, and this, this is across all motor racing. Would you do one when it's brand new to get your baseline? You would yeah. wait a little while for after the break-in period. Like how, how, what's the, the right way to start? I have a customer that he'll pull samples at, I believe, even as early as 60 miles on an engine, 120 miles on the engine. And he mandates to his customers that they pull uh, samples at every oil change. And that interval gets progressively larger as there's more time on the engine. Uh, but he, he mandates samples. He takes several before he releases the car and then has another oil change a thousand with sample with an oil sample at that point. And having that trend data, because you, one of the things you'll see in a fresh engine, obviously you'll have more iron, you'll have, as stuff is breaking in, one of the things that throws people for a loop sometimes, you'll see high silicon content. Well, that's your RTV. It yep. leaches silicon into the oil and people get all worried that there's silicon in their engine. Don't worry. No, that's from the RTV, the silicon leak, leaching out. So, and that's something that uh, once you do, you start doing this, Again, you'll get a feel for what's normal and what's not normal. And like one of my one of my biggest engine customers, Jake Raby at Flat Six Innovations, that he does uh, tons of engines a year. I'd probably say he probably does eight to ten engines a month, Porsche engines, and every engine gets oil samples. And he's been doing oil sample tests, and he's been doing this now for uh, for years, at least with the water cool engines, at least ten years. So he has literally thousands of oil samples. So he knows right away before he even releases a car to a customer, oh, this doesn't look right. We need to look at what's wrong. It might be, it might not even be something internal on the engine. Like Blake said, it could be a thermostat on the car that's not opening up, or it could be a bad injector or a bad computer in the, in the car or a bad sensor. Something that, because it's common for us to get new parts and you put a new part on the car and the new part be bad. And that can and all and sensors on the engine, all that stuff will affect the tune and how the car runs. But again, the quickest thing you could use a tool to determine uh, if there is a problem is oil analysis because it'll give you data before you have any other symptoms. And one thing that I love about having a break-in sample is break-in is the highest level of normal wear your engine should ever see. So it's going to be the highest. Over time, that trend is going to gradually drop down, find its level spot. If you ever see a sample ever again that's anywhere near your break-in, that's telling you something's wrong. So it really is almost the most important sample to be had because it's the key of establishing what's the high watermark I should ever see. So if I ever get near there again, there's a problem. Yeah, turn turn, and that's there's many many a time we get results back and we tell the customer, don't run the engine anymore. Oh, but I have a track event this weekend. No, yeah, unless you want to scatter your engine across the track, don't do it. And and it it saved many customers thousands upon thousands of dollars for a sixty dollar uh, oil sample. Yeah, wow, amazing. Got a question out there from Otis. Otis says he signed on a little bit late. Where you been, Otis? Uh, he might have missed the answer. I don't think so. Do you recommend a warm-up temperature to pull oil sample and secure the best sample of suspended particles? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You definitely want to have the car driven around 
warmed up, everything moving uh, around so that everything is suspended. That gives you the best possible sample data. If you take a sample from an engine that's been sitting for a long period of time and take the first little bit out of it, it's going to give you probably a, a false positive uh, to the high side. If you take it at the very end of a sample where all the other stuff's out of the way, it's going to be to the negative side in terms of not capturing things. So you really do want to take a sample. You don't have to worry about, oh, I just turned it off. I got to get it in 30, in 30 seconds. It, it will stay suspended in there. As long as you get it warmed up and it's moved through the engine, then it's a representative sample and you can take it within a few minutes or so. I, my procedure when I'm out doing uh, engine testing, be it you know, rings or whatever at Ron Shaver's places, when we shut the dyno down, three minutes. I have a the clock set my phone, three minutes and you crack it. And we do that from every single engine test. So we can look at those results. Like we were talking about today, we did a, a ring test not long ago where we took from a 0.7 millimeter ring in that engine. And we know what that baseline is from years and years. And it's always around you know, 10, maybe 11 parts per million of iron. So we took that 0.7 millimeter ring out Got another set of pistons from JE. Pistons helped us out. Gave us another set of pistons. Same, everything about the piston was identical except for the ring grooves were for a 16th, 16th, 316th. We put that one in and we ran it. We got the sample back today and it was 22 parts per million. So going from a 0.7 millimeter ring to a 16th inch ring, we doubled the amount of wear during the same period of time. Same surface finish, same everything. And that was a way of quantifying the additional wear due to the additional friction of the larger ring. Again, it's, it's just such great, it gives you data. As opposed to having speculation or guesses and we're bench racing, it's like, no, 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 it's just science. And we have data and we can move forward. And Excellent, please. Excellent. All right, next one from Michael. Uh, how much time should a modern petrol or diesel engine be warmed in the morning before you drive off? This is more of a general question, probably for Lake. With modern oil formulation, is it still worth warming an engine for five minutes or three minutes, et cetera? I'm going to let Charles handle that one. Um, no, you don't want to let the engine idle for excessive period of time. And I actually wanted to, going back to last question, if this is the exact same answer to this. If the engine's not warm, don't start it up and let it sit there and idle. That just dumps a bunch of fuel into a cold motor and you'll skew your oil sample you pull because you have a bunch of raw fuel in the engine. You want to make sure that the, in the car or the engine has been run to full operating temperature. So you want the oil to get to say 215, 220 degrees so that uh, that's most representative of what that sample would look like in normal operation. But as far as idling uh, the engine before you drive off, uh, I'll tell you what, what we tell our customers is start the engine, uh, let the car start falling off of high idle. If it's a modern uh, car with, with fuel injection, let it come off of high idle. And usually that's going to be 15, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds max. Uh, what's most important is uh, just don't immediately start the car and go to red line. We've yeah. seen we've seen customers that they love that, that start their car and immediately just go to red line. That's how you blow 
stuff up. Uh, so, uh, right oil, right place, right time, right amount. That yeah, thick oil is cold. It can't get up there. There's no lubrication. Yeah. So, yeah, at most 30 seconds is, is all you really need. And what's the most important thing is to be gingerly with the engine. So uh, a Porsche engine might rev uh, to 7,000, 7,508. Uh, we, we tell customers, and I believe it's even the owner's manual, don't go past 4,000 RPM until the engine gets up to operating temperature. Um, another example of this, um, on modern Mercedes with turbos, it won't let the cars get full boost until the oil hits approximately 165 to 170 degrees. If you give it gas pedal, it goes to start coming on boost and it goes, nope, you can't have it and, and dumps it. So, so one point that you were talking, you were making, and I think it's worth expanding on a little bit. Why is it important from a fuel dilution standpoint to get the engine up to operate temperature beyond just the fact that you need temperature in the oil to evaporate the fuel? What's the ECU doing? during that warm-up time. I, yeah, I didn't explain that fully. So on a modern engine, uh, there's uh, fuel enrichment for cold start. And in that startup window, it's looking at all the sensors, the temp sensors, and looking. And while the engine's not fully up to temperature, it's adding more fuel as part of cold start. So you definitely want the engine to exit that cold start uh, period and run in normal operating conditions. What and for an extended period of time, we, we tell customers, especially in the winter, that they want to go out in their uh, garage, start their yes. car, and just let it idle. Thank you for bringing when, this up. When, when we get oil samples from customers that do that, they look oh, horrible. They look, wor they look worse than a break-in. It's sample. the worst thing you can do to your car is go out there and start it once a week, just for a minute or two, and shut it off, thinking that you're moving oil through the engine and trying to lubricate it, you are absolutely destroying your engine by doing it. Just let it sit. It's just let it sit. And as far as for shop owners, I, we know a lot of shops that they have so many cars, but they have limited space, especially when they're in Southern California and it's so expensive to have large footprint. Where do you put all these cars? A lot of shops have to shuffle all the cars out. It's like a jigsaw puzzle every morning. And, and put them all back every night. And a lot of the times shops will start the cars and drive them and they'll drive them five feet, 10 feet, turn them off. Then at the end of the day, turn them on and drive them back in. And again, we've had shops take oil samples from cars that they do this. And it's once they see oil, a used oil analysis from a car they've been doing this, they start pushing all the cars <laughs> and, they don't, and they don't drive them five or 10 feet anymore. Right. Wow, um, it just got personal because that's something that I have thought to do with my own performance engine. I've got a little bracket race car for those that don't know, and it it hasn't you know it doesn't get raced a lot. But I think like what should I be doing with this thing to keep it uh, alive and functioning? I feel so once uh, you know every three months. Now we warm it up to full temperature. We like fire it up, let it idle for a little bit, and then bring it up to temperature. But then we just put it away. We're not racing the thing. We're in our driveway. You'd recommend just not running it, Lake? No. If you put a car away for storage, the best thing you can do is go ahead and do the oil change right then. Put fresh oil in it. You know, crank it up, bring it up the temperature. Let all that fresh oil move to the engine. Park it. Put it away. 
one thing to make sure if you've got pump gas, guys, you need to make sure your fuel tank is either bone dry or completely full. If you put away a car with half a tank of gas that's got ethanol in it, it's going to breed it, especially down there where you are, Joe. Uh, in South Florida, you got so much humidity in the air that ethanol in the fuel is hygroscopic. It will suck in atmospheric moisture. So uh, storage is a whole thing by itself that you want to put away the engine with fresh oil, tank fuel, fuel, but put in a storage uh, protection additive, uh, helps the fuel stay stable uh, over storage time, then just let it sit and, until it's time to go drive it or go race it, let it sit. Yep. Well, very, very interesting. That's good information for a lot of people out there who can't uh, necessarily get to the track as often as they would like. Uh, another question on uh, oil um, life cycle. If we're going to do a measurement like this, used oil analysis, do we want to do that analysis at the very end of our oil life cycle, like where we're getting ready to change it? Do we want to do it somewhere in the middle? I would imagine not at the very beginning because there hasn't been enough time to um, to get to that point. What would you recommend? No, you would normally want to do it at your normal oil change interval. Whatever that schedule you're on currently, take the sample at that point of time, then build your, begin building your, your history, your, your, your trend line, then you may, based on what you're seeing, decide to alter your change interval based on what you're seeing. You may extend it. You may shorten it. Uh, let, you're going to let the data guide you. One thing I know we are both big advocates of, there's a lot of guys who track their car, especially in today's world, especially here in 2020, where there sometimes there weren't races, but there were track days. And people can drive their car to the track, do the track day, and then drive back. You probably, even though you're not, you're not going to change the oil in between track days, you should definitely sample the oil between track days if you're not in that habit of, you know, I do a track day, I change the oil regardless of how many miles in it, just because I push the oil harder and I want to protect my engine. You let that, that's a good way to do it and let the data kind of lead you to what the right change interval is going to be. Excellent. Coming down the stretch here with Charles and Lake talking about used oil analysis and uh, speed diagnostics. If you have a question, put it in the comment section now and we'll get it to the guys. Like you, you mentioned the soup at the very beginning, the uh, cylinder bore, the ring seal, all of that, protecting your engine and, uh, you know, keeping the, the, the fuel side fuel and the oil side oil is the point of the ring, you know, the McDLT of, of the engine. Exactly. <laughs> a totally obscure reference, but somebody got it and they laughed. Um, talk a little bit about that relationship, Lake. I always find it interesting. There's a lot to learn. Okay, cool. Well, I don't know if you can see back here. I'm going to try to draw. Okay. Um, I got to squat down that way it can be seen, right? We see so, you now. We got right. you. So right, we talk about the cylinder wall. You know, we think it's smooth. We, it should be straight and round. That's the key for owning in a cylinder finish. You get it straight and round. But that micro level, uh, you know, Billy Gobble, one of my good friends who's uh, – head engineer at comp cams, he, he always told me, and he was 100% right about this, failures don't happen at the macro level. The stuff we can see, they happen at the micro level. 
where literally where atoms are next to each other. That's where the crack propagates is it the interface between that atom and this atom, that molecule and that molecule. So you, we can't just go by what we can see with our eyes while we have profilometers. What you're doing with that profilometer is you're trying to understand that cylinder bore finish. And, right, and what really was, was happening on that cylinder wall is you've got these peaks and valleys. As you go up and down the bore, there's these peaks and valleys. So a lot of you may be familiar with the term plateau honing. And the idea of plateau honing is in the old days, you'd have a fairly rough finish. You had a really rough abrasive, and it would leave a finish looking like this. Just all that roughness. So the oil gets trapped in those valleys, but the piston ring is hitting all those peaks. So those peaks are going to be wearing the ring, which in the old days, we had, you know, chrome rings, you know, chrome faced rings. And really, when you say a chrome ring or a molly ring, they're not made out of that material. They were typically cast iron rings with either a chrome face coating or a molly face coating. In the old days, we had chrome faced rings. And because chrome is so hard, and because that chroming process is a dipping process, the surface thickness of that chrome would vary, which means that ring that was supposedly perfectly round is now not round really at a micro level. So what you were doing is you were using that roughness to break in the ring. That's where that terminology came from. We were breaking in the ring. Or what we were doing is using that rough cylinder finish to knock off those peaks on the chrome to make the ring round. And at the same time, it was also knocking off the peaks on the cylinder board. So that when you looked at it after it had run, it was actually a lot smoother. So you had the, it was flat on top with these valleys underneath to hold the oil because back to what is proper lubrication? Right oil, right place, right time, right amount. How do you get the oil to lubricate the ring? It's in those valleys. So the idea of plateau honing came along later, which is, hey, we can use two different grit abrasives, a rough grit abrasive and a smoother abrasive, and we can go get in that deep valley by using the rough grit, and then we come back and we hone over it to use the smoother grit to speed things up. Of course, you can't do that with a chrome ring because it still needs that roughness. But when you get into today, today's rings, like at, no, at Total Seal, we can manufacture steel rings. So steel is a better material than cast iron. It's more ductile. It can handle more heat without losing its strength. So the more power you make per cubic inch, the more heat you're going to generate. Well, at some point, you're going to exceed the heat limit of what cast iron can be. So high power engines need steel rings to keep up and handle the heat. Well, those steel rings are PVD coated. That's super smooth. They're perfectly round. They're OD lack. They don't need that roughness to break in. So the idea is you can plateau home, get the valleys you need to lubricate the ring, 
but you don't have all those peaks which are going to wear the ring out and then you get good ring seal by having that smooth surface on top rough underneath to hold the oil and then the key like i said before is you got to have the right fuel trim now here's the thing back to the oil analysis and how it can relate to piston ring seal when you go from say a gasoline engine to a methanol engine because methanol has a higher or richer air fuel ratio you have to essentially run twice as much fuel through the engine than, than gasoline that means you get twice as much fuel dilution in the cylinder which means the valleys on a methanol fueled engine need to be deeper you have to have more valley to hold more oil so that oil doesn't lose its viscosity and how do you know if you've got all that right used oil analysis is that tool that can tell you whether or not you're getting it right because the problem is when you get a fresh honed cylinder there's enough they call it core roughness to hold enough oil to be okay but as the engine runs over time that core roughness goes away then you lose that core roughness you've lost the seal you've lost the cylinder everything goes badly quickly so you can know there's a problem ahead of that by looking at the used oil analysis. So you can, again, preemptively head off the problem at the pass. Amazing. Amazing. Um, getting down to the final minutes here, Charles and Lake, you guys have done a great job. And I think that the simplicity of, of the, the product is what is so appealing that people can take a sample and send it to you and get it back literally in a couple of days. Charles, why don't you give us the vitals one more time? Where can we get it? How long does it take? Uh, those basics, because I would imagine that people are going to be watching this one over and over again, because it seems like it would be a no-brainer. Yep. They can hop on to our website. It's lnengineering.com and click on the products menu and you'll see there's category for speed diagnostics. Uh, we have kits for the expedited and also the standard kits. And a standard kit runs a little more than 60 bucks with free shipping, and that'll get you your sample back in about five days once you mail it in. Uh, like Lake uh, mentioned earlier in the presentation, that uh, we can, with expedited kits, you can get the results back in as little as two or three days. Two or yeah. three days. Uh, we have a lot of customers that are looking to buy a car and they're having a PPI done. And especially, we know some of the issues with uh, the Porsche models we deal with used oil analysis immediately. That's the first tool that you can use to disqualify a car you're looking at to buy. Because we know if it, right away if it has bore scoring or if it has high fuel dilution or high wear metals. And one of the things you don't even know some of these cars, have they been tracked? Have they been abused? Have they not been well-maintained? And a used oil analysis tells the truth. It, it's, it, it's the facts yeah. of the engine. Right, it's, 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 it's the, I don't wanna use it's other companies' brand. names. It's, it's the car facts of the engine. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't care. It's just the truth. That's amazing. I, I see John is on here, Francisco on here. Oh, actually, there is a, a, on the chat, uh, there is somebody ask, asking, can you send resort overseas? Yeah, obviously. I'm sure you guys can do that, right? That's from Michael Ocean. It, well, we can. We have done samples from people uh, outside the U.S. It's going to take longer to do. So the... Yeah. the the time frame that was just presented is not going to be representative of, of what's going on. Uh, 
so yeah, yeah but it, it can be done. My, my daughter, Caroline, is the one that handles this on a day-to-day basis because obviously I work for Matt and the guys at Total Steel, that's my day job, and she's the one that makes sure this goes. But you know, Charles and I are also kind of helping her along the way to make sure that things are getting done. Okay, that was and a question for Michael Ocean. So thank you guys, uh, 251, wonderful job, uh, Lake and Charles. And, and again, as we mentioned the entire week, uh, you know, speed diagnostic is, is on, on the platform. Uh, I can show you in one second as we have done it before in the past. You go here, you go on the homepage, you have to log in yourself and then uh, they are right there. You click here, you click, I want more information. That sends a message right there to Lake and everybody at Speed Diagnostic, mostly Caroline. Or you go here and you have your question for Speed Diagnostic. All you need to do is ask a question. I'm sorry, I have to take my glasses uh, because otherwise I won't <laughs> question. Uh, yes, we all do, Frank. We all do. You're Caroline. the only one. Okay, you submit your question that put there right there with them. So as simple as that, you only have to log in. So we build this platform especially for that. Thank you guys very, very much. Registering on ePARTRADE is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePARTRADE as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePARTRADE.